she not talking to me like you too fucking little to be welcome to tackless radio Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone in between to another episode of Tackless Radio, and happy Black History Month, happy Negro Month, happy We the People Who Built This Country Month. How are you all doing today? Well, I hope, because I'm not, to be fully transparent, but we're going to keep it pushing. I just want to say happy Black History Month to all of my beautiful Black brothers and sisters. I just want to say that you are beautiful. You are smart. You are intelligent. You are kings and queens. Your hair defies gravity. You look fantastic and orange. Your walk is immaculate. No one has confidence like you my black brother and sister. So I just want to say from one negress to another, happy Black History Month. And with that, we're actually going to talk about some black history facts this episode, because what kind of teacher would I be if I didn't share some black history facts? But not only am I going to be sharing black history facts, I actually want to share black women history facts. Because black women are women, so a lot of my ancestors and my matriarchs had to deal with sexism. And with that, a lot of the contributions of black women weren't written down, they were not recorded, a lot of it was washed away and wiped over. And I want to just take a moment to highlight all of the amazing things that black women have done, how they have excelled, how they have persevered how they have overcome, how they were innovative, how they took the initiative. We gonna get into it and we gonna talk a little bit about all the amazing things that black women did. And I'm hoping more so that you all leave this episode with so much new knowledge that you go out and share with everybody else. So let's go ahead and get into it. And if anybody wants to follow along, I will be getting a lot of this information from explorethearchive.com along with opradaily.com. She definitely shared some really amazing information about black women this month. I also will be getting some of this information from rd.com. So let's go ahead and get into some black history facts about black women. Starting with tennis player, Althea Gibson, who was the first black athlete to cross the color line. Althea was born in South Carolina on August 25th, 1927, and her family then moved to Harlem, Manhattan, where she spent most of her childhood. When she was 10 years old, the police athletically closed off traffic to her street to allow the children to play sports outside. This is when Gibson developed her love for athletics and her gifted tennis abilities. 
Gibson went on to win a string of major titles on the African-American tennis circuit. She was eventually permitted to enter the major international tournaments, becoming the first Black athlete to win a Grand Slam title and the first to play at Wimbledon, later winning Wimbledon and the U.S. Nationals, which is the precursor to the U.S. Open. I don't know if you all knew this, but Maya Angelou was the first black female cable car conductor in San Francisco because we best know her as the Pulitzer Prize winning author. But before she began writing, she worked a string of odd jobs in her youth. When Angelou first went to apply for the job as a cable car conductor, they refused to give her an application, clearly, because she was black and she was a woman. Undeterred, Angelou sat outside of the office every day for two weeks until they finally allowed her to apply for the position. Much to her distress though, when she read over the application paperwork, she realized that she was neither old enough for the job nor had the credentials. But she used her love of writing to get through the application process. She sprinkled a little of fiction to complete her application on a blissful day, she said. And shortly after she was hired, and became the first black female cable car conductor in San Francisco. Did you know, Rebecca Lee Crumpler was the first black woman to become a doctor of medicine in the United States. After moving to Charleston, Massachusetts in 1852, Rebecca Crumpler worked as a nurse for eight years. At the time, the lack of official schools of nursing meant she required no formal training for the job, but she certainly wasn't afraid of some hard work. She was admitted into the New England Female Medical College in 1860 and graduated four years later with her MD. After the end of the Civil War in 1865, Dr. Crumpler moved to Richmond, Virginia to provide medical care for the freed slaves who would otherwise have no one else to turn to. She dedicated herself to understanding the diseases that particularly afflicted women and children. And when she eventually returned to Massachusetts, she opened her own clinic in Boston. She saw poverty-stricken patients and treated them regardless of their ability to pay her. That is absolutely amazing. Here's a little music fact for those, especially for my hip hop heads out there. Billboard has called Sylvia Robinson hip-hop's first godmother, but she still never seemed to get her credit that she deserves for cultivating the genre of rap. In the summer of 1979, Robinson conceived and produced the single Rapper's Delight. This took a culture of music that thrived on the street and helped to foster it into an art form that suddenly was commercially viable. The song became the first rap single to dominate the radio and the charts, hitting number 36 on Billboard's Hot 100 and becoming the first rap record to sell over 1 million copies. So shout out to Sylvia Robinson, does not get the credit she deserves. Did you all know that Phyllis Wheatley was only 12 when she became the first female African-American author to be published? Despite Phyllis Wheatley's fame, we know surprising little about her early life. She was taken from her home in Africa when she was seven or eight and sold to the Wheatley family in Boston. 
The family taught her to read and write and encouraged her to write poetry as soon as they witnessed her talent for it. In 1773, Phyllis published her first poem, making her the first African-American to be published. And she was only 12. And of course, I have to mention my favorite, my mother, the icon, Josephine Baker. But did you all know that Josephine Baker was a spy for the French during World War II? And to tell you the truth, I love this type of petty because she said, fuck America, fuck your segregation, fuck your racism. I'ma go where they love this brown chocolate ass. And she went to France and she became so popular and so famous over there. And she could have just, you know, lived off her riches, off all of the men that fawned over her, her rainbow children and her big ass houses. She could have just gave the middle finger to America when she got off that plane and kept it pushing. But she said, no, I want to stick it to him where it fucking hurts. And she became a spy for the French. So after she married Frenchman Jean Lyon, she moved to Paris and renounced her U.S. citizenship. Love the pettiness. Love the pettiness. In 1940, in the 1940, when the Nazis began their occupation of Paris, Baker showed just how deep her loyalty to her adopted nation was and became a spy for the Allies. During her travels across Europe to perform, Baker would conceal messages within her costumes or on her sheet music for the other Allied spies. She also used her status as a desired society presence to eavesdrop at various embassy events and balls. I love that for her. I really do. This one is not as known, but I think a lot of us are starting to remember the name of Claudette Colvin because nine months before Rosa Parks, she did the damn thing. On December 1st, 1955, Rosa Parks refused to relinquish her seat on a public bus, which we all know sparked protests, then led to the Montgomery bus protests, and then also gave more speed to the civil rights movement. Yet she was not the first African-American individual in Montgomery to stand up against injustice in such a manner, because on March 2nd, 1955, a 15-year-old girl by the name of Claudette Colvin was riding home on a city bus after a long day at school. A white passenger boarded and the bus driver ordered Claudette to give up her seat. Claudette refused. As she told Newsweek, I felt like Sojourner Truth was pushing down on one shoulder and Harriet Tubman was pushing down on the other. I was glued to my seat. Basically, Claudette Colvin was the first one to be like, she not talking to me like. Did you all know that, first off, Shirley Chisholm is the first black woman to run for president in this country. But while doing so, she had three separate assassination attempts on her life. Because that is how threatened this fucking country is of black women. Unbought and unbossed. Those words ring loudly as a mere speck of Shirley Chisholm's legacy. 
Chisholm, born and raised in Brooklyn, became the first Black woman elected to Congress in 1968. After four years as the New York representative for the 12th Congressional District, Chisholm announced her run for the presidency. In that moment, she became the first Black candidate for president from a major party and the first female candidate to run for the Democratic Party nation. Her life was endangered as she vied for our nation's highest office. She did win a total of 28 delegates during her run. And after stepping down, she went ahead and started to teach at all women colleges, one of them being Spillman. So I actually think this next fact is pretty fucking cool, which is shining light on the 6,888th Battalion, which was a all-Black, all-female unit of the military that was charged with delivering mail to troops across Europe during World War II. In February of 1945, the 6,688th, and I do not even know if I'm really saying that correctly, so please correct me, Central Postal Directory Battalion was established to deliver mail to American troops, government personnel, and volunteers abroad in England. At the time, many packages and letters were poorly addressed or sent to individuals with common names and little further direction. Members of the service weren't getting their mail, which had an outsized impact on morale. And if you all didn't know, it didn't take them six months to get through the backlog. They actually got through that backlog in three months. And military personnel and government officials were so impressed by their hard work. The women were granted the opportunity to travel to serve overseas in late 1944. And the 6,888th Battalion was full of eager, well-trained recruits. Led by Major Charity Edna Adams, the women of the 6888 spent time in Oglethorpe, Georgia, preparing for service, jumping over trenches, identifying enemy crafts, and marching. Mail delivery in a war zone did not come, not without danger and the women of the battalion faced several close calls, injuries, and in some instances, death. Though the reaction to this particular battalion was mixed, the 6888 was outstandingly efficient. The battalion worked in long shifts seven days a week and created a brand new tracking system for the mail that they received. Shout out to those ladies. Also, and I'ma scream this black women history fact to the top of the goddamn mountains. But I'm letting y'all know now, Betty Boop was based on a black woman. Because although the inspiration for Boop's image came directly from Helene Kane, a popular flapper and film star, Kane's own public persona was a direct rendition of Baby Esther, a stage name for one Esther Jones. In fact, when Kane sued Betty Boop's creator for stealing her voice and catchphrases, a recording of baby Esther's performance proved that she couldn't claim the style was her own. Singular creation. Lying, thieving ass white women tried to sue and couldn't even win because you forgot that you culturally appropriated. See people, they've been culturally appropriating since the beginning of fucking time. And we now see it because now we have media and we can see our history. <laughs> 
hilarious hilarious i don't know if y'all knew this now now first of all y'all already know that this is a harriet tugman josephine baker ida b wales stan account over here okay and we all are very familiar with the amazing work of harriet tugman but did you all know that she also was the first woman first woman 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 to leave a U.S. military operation. In 1863, Tubman led a regime in the raid on Combahee Ferry. Tubman planned and carried out the attack, which freed some of 750 enslaved people and laid waste to the Confederates' encampment. The 54th Massachusetts Regiment, an all-Black volunteer regiment, executed a similar raid up the river in Darien, Georgia. So while so many people are like, men built this world, men are in the military, da 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 y'all could get some help if you allowed it, okay? Because as I am sharing in these facts, black women had a place and were definitely serving the country that has never fucking served us. So when y'all say that bullshit, I just want you to peep it down. Just keep it down. Just keep it down a little bit because you're because you're lying and you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Moving on. I thought that this was actually really, really cool because like I told you all, this is a Harriet Josephine Ida Stan account. And did you all know? that Ida B. Wells and her anti-lynching pamphlets helped usher in a new era of journalism. So some might be familiar with the terms mud rakers or yellow journalism. At the turn of the 20th century, journalists began writing vividly described stories about horrific practices around the country and the world. Some of the more popular ones at the time were Nellie Bly's 10 Days in a Madhouse and Ida Tarbell's The History of the Standard Oil Company. But without Wales' Southern Horrors, a 1892 pamphlet detailing lynching accounts throughout the United States and how those lynchings were enacted to punish Black people who threatened white power structures. Her investigative journalism is really what gave rise to the new methodology. So awesome. So after graduating from Oberlin College in 1850 with a literary degree, Lucy Stanton became the first black woman in America to earn a four-year college degree. Computer scientist Lisa Jalopter assisted with the 1995 creation of Shockwave, essential technology that led to the development of web animation. So we gotta thank her for gifts. In 1996, Cheryl Swoops became the first player to sign with the WNBA, with the league debuting a year later. And our last one, which I am so happy that when I did go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, they correctly talked about Miss Mamas and the way that they were supposed to, because Sister Rosetta Tharp is the queen of rock and roll 
and who Elvis tried to be, if you fucking ask me. So when it comes to rock and roll, the boys seem to get all the credit, but Sister Rosetta Tharp was known as the godmother of rock and roll for a reason. Born in 1915, Tharp blazed a musical trail with her distinctive voice and roll-licking guitar, combining both secular and spiritual music in her own unique brand of rock and roll. Such greats as Chuck Berry, Elvis Presley, Bob Dylan, and Johnny Cash have all credited her and her influence on their music. So with that, I just want to say thank you so much for listening to another episode of Tackless Radio. It's been fantastic to share some of these Black women history facts that I recently learned. It was fun just getting to dive deep and learn more about Black women in this country and all that they have done. I am never shocked by the amazing talents of Black people. We are some awesome people. And whatever the fuck you think you try to throw at us or whenever you try to burn everything we have down to the ground or whenever you try to stop us from accomplishing our goals or whenever you try to put fucking roadblocks in our way, it don't matter. We always get the shit done. <laughs>